Okay, so I'm here to talk to you a little bit about text mining techniques. This is going to be a rapid gallop because people write rather non-analytic textbooks about this kind of thing. Um, uh, so I'll give you a gentle introduction and then look at some applications and case studies. Now, you will rapidly discover that none of these are related to the topic of obesity, topics of obesity and eating disorders. There's a very good reason that you will appreciate as we go through this. Right? Uh, but my goal here is to help you understand what text mining could do for you, and um, I'm hoping that you'll be able to make a small intellectual leap to, to understand. Now, just a little bit of explanation about our particular centre. Um, this was set up by the CHISC um, to be a national centre providing services to the research community. And our initial focus was on biology, and, but then we broadened out into areas of the social sciences, into medicine, chemistry, and so on. And um, as David said a few minutes ago, large-scale processing is where text mining is, is centered, really. And one of the big projects we are involved in is called UK PubMed Central. This is an archive um, of uh, life science uh, full text articles. Uh, funded by the government trust and many other funders, and there are millions of articles in there that, that we, we process. Now you'll be able to find out more about us on our <coughs> Now, just to give you a, a, a little definition of text mining, it's about discovering new knowledge from all. That's its classic goal. And typically how we do this, we process very large amounts of text, we identify all kinds of information and pull this out. We may link this information into already what's called curated knowledge, already known uh, uh, knowledge. Then we mine over that to discover all kinds of significant uh, implicit hidden associations. Nobody has suspected these before. Flag them up for the researcher who will carry out experiments and so on. Um, and hopefully then come up with uh, treatments for whatever. Um, a spin-off on the way, though, is that we can render a lot of information explicit, and then we can do other interesting things with that. Um, here, just to give you a graphic uh, illustration, is are the various uh, processes involved in, in text mining. So we can we take in but strictly unstructured text, even though somebody may have used headings and paragraphs and something called the sentence, it's still unstructured um, from the formal point of view of a, of a computer. Information retrieval to find things of interest, information extraction to pull out uh, 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 domain-specific uh, items of interest, uh, turning these into what's called semantic metadata, and then mining over those to enable knowledge discovery, and as a side effect, getting out structured content or explicit knowledge. Um, so that, that, that's the cycle. And of course, as you go around this cycle, your uh, scientist is then producing more information that then leads into more text mining. So it's a, a virtuous cycle. Now, what it offers is it finds unsuspected knowledge. We've already held about disease gene associations. I'd just like to emphasize that we're not just looking here for an association between one disease and one gene, or one gene and one disease. Usually many, many genes are implicated here, and this is quite a hard task for scientists to go through 
manually, so if we can help them along uh, with text mining, they are, they are very grateful. Um, we can enable discoveries that human effort could not achieve. There is so much information out there, there's information overload and information overlook. So you just so much you just don't see it. Um, one of the things that I'll demonstrate as we go through is we can offer better search and navigation of the scientific literature um, or of any kind of text. We can extract semantic, the semantic metadata and then offer semantic search and I'll show you what that means very shortly. In terms of classic search, it's been shown on several occasions that a great deal of research or time is spent on classic search and up to a half of such search, searches are unsatisfied. Right? So we're trying to help improve on the search side. Now, as you may have guessed, text mining does involve many components, all sorts of converters and analyzers and miners and visualizers, but also many types of resource for dealing with language. So we need to bring in knowledge about grammar, ontologies, lexicons, terminologies, thesauri, control vocabularies, like all of these things, anything we can get our hands on to, to drive the systems. We can put all of these together in many different ways in order to uh, address many different needs. Um, but, and one of the reasons I'm here today, and I think it's secretly why Sally invited me, was to find out about your needs this morning and first part of this afternoon has been very useful for me in that sense because everybody has got different needs depending on the domain and the type of scenarios they're dealing with and so on. Now, uh, this just gives you a little idea of the various steps involved in uh, text mining and what you rapidly appreciate is that as you go from the bottom left up to the top right there, you're going from simple techniques to sophisticated techniques. And the more sophisticated you become, the greater um, uh, the greater customization you need. And this is why we don't have systems at the moment handling uh, the intersection of uh, obesity, eating disorders in the media, because we would have to develop specific systems for those. We'd have to customize existing generic technology in order to produce such systems. But you can see here the types of question, if you like, the types of activity that these various um, processes or activities can, can help with. So right down at the bottom, you've got simple keyword search. Um, you've got uh, ambiguity of words being resolved. So are we talking about a dog, a dog room, or a lead balloon, right? Um, term identification, so the technical terminology of the field up to something called named entities. Um, that's names of people, organizations, locations, dates, genes, proteins, and so on. All the way up to finding um, uh, hypotheses, generating hypotheses for scientists to go and test. So a whole range of things that text mining and uh, its, its cousin natural language processing can, can get involved with. They're very, there are many ways of um, tackling text mining. Um, people can be trained to write rules in various formalisms. Now, that has a problem of uh, exhaustivity. Uh, oh, I can always write another rule, but then you have to 
break that rule of specificity. I've written something very general. I have to specialise it for a new case. Many techniques um, uh, focus on what's called machine learning techniques. This is where um, an expert in the domain will annotate large amounts of texts for the phenomena they are interested in. And then we can uh, launch what's called a machine learning algorithm over these annotations to learn patterns. Now, uh, up until recently, this, this was done manually, the annotation. We've been working on what's called accelerated annotation, where uh, an editor can actually help in speeding up the manual process to train these systems um, by learning as it goes what you are annotating and then uh, proposing things. It's much easier just to click yes, no, rather than to have the intellectual burden of uh, deciding in the first place. There are also hybrid approaches that, that, that mix rule writing approaches and machine learning approaches. And there are also, as another dimension, knowledge poor as against knowledge rich. So knowledge poor just perhaps looking at work, collocations and so on. Knowledge rich where you're accessing, say, ontologies or lexicons and other rich sources of knowledge. Now, as I said, um, I can't demonstrate at the moment to you uh, solutions in your space. However, um, please bear in mind, I'm, I'm going to be focusing on biomedicine at the moment, so you'll learn something new, as I learned something new today. Um, but just bear in mind, these techniques that I'm going to be discussing are portable to other domains. Right? They have to be customised, and that customization relies on understanding user requirements. Now, Several people today mentioned the word frame. I've been talking to social scientists in, in another project about frames, frame analysis. I had great difficulty because there appears to be certain schools of thought about what a frame is, how it's formalized, and how can I compute something that somebody can't give me in an explicit fashion. Right, so if you're into frame analysis, please think, how can you talk to me and tell me explicitly what it is you want so I can compute it. And here is, here is just a little example of an editor, and this annotation editor I was talking about, I should cover on there. The message to go away with here is, this is helping the human being uh, to, as you can see, do rather complex annotation. You can see things embedded in other, other things, even if you don't know what secretary antigenic target sex ESAT 6 system 1 ESX 1 station apparatus is, right? If you're a biologist, you do, and you can, you can uh, figure out how that should be uh, categorized, classified, and so on. Imagine this in the domain of eating disorders and obesity. You could be helped to annotate such material that can then help drive systems. And uh, uh, here's just another one just to show you um, perhaps uh, easier to read. Uh, there are little pop-ups and so on that you can get access to very easily. You can change things, you can choose. Now over here you've got the various entities and roles and participants and so on involved in the various um, uh, phrases here. These can be changed at will um, and then the system trained to, to handle those. So these are biology specific. Now, there are many, many different ways of doing this information extraction. Uh, three of the, the, the big ones, or the big components, are what we call tagging, part of speech tagging, simply saying something's a noun or a verb. Um, named entity recognition, 
trying to identify people, places, dates, genes, and so on. And then the hard stuff, deep syntactic parsing, where you, I mean, if you're bald like me, you're in school, you probably did in the drawing of grammar trees. We've got systems that do that automatically now, which is why kids don't do it in school anymore, I guess. Anyway, um, down at the bottom you see a little representation of all of this. So we do this for every sentence in a few million full text articles. And that will take several days of distributed parallel computing time right, to do this. Not, it's not a fast process. Do this offline. Now, named entity recognition, as I suggested, for identifying things like these various um, types of entity. Now, once you've indexed your um, text with that kind of material, you can then start using those entity types to do searching. So I can show you a little example here. Now, here I've just done a classic sort of uh, information retrieval search at the top there, obesity and news. 52 articles have popped out. Uh, this is Medline, uh, so 18 million records in there. Um, we have actually processed all of Medline done entity recognition, we've used that to construct what are called facets in information retrieval. And uh, at, at, in the middle there you can see childhood obesity, that's one of the facets we've recognised, and uh, we've um, recognised in the text all mentions of childhood obesity. You can click on there and you're now reduced to three articles very quickly, all about childhood obesity. Right? So that's doing named entity recognition on the text on a massive scale, helping you now to do uh, uh, recognizing that childhood obesity, this is a disease clearly, and uh, the text mining has discovered that for you and enabled you just to, in a couple of clicks to drill down and find uh, relevant articles about childhood obesity. Um, unfortunately, when we go into other areas, we're often asked to deal with noisy data. Here we might be dealing with OCR output of digitized, digitized texts, or emails, non-professional blogs, and tweets, and so on. And uh, these can be noisy from different points of view. The OCR might not be very good. Right? Uh, we may have to use partial analysis techniques. Um, uh, tweets contain lots of informal e emails. Blogs contain lots of informal uh, language, which can be very hard to deal with, ad hoc abbreviations, um, uh, sorts of reductions in language and so on, and in jokes and such like that can be quite hard to deal with. Even apparently clean data can be very hard to process. And Peter Laurie Russ, a very well known um, uh, chemist, he is, he's uh, talked about hamburger PDFs, by which he means to get text out of a PDF is like starting with the hamburger and trying to get back to the cup. So it's not easy. However, for formally written text, we can do full-scale analysis. And I'll show you here a little example of semantic search over full-text analysis. This is done by partners in the University of Tokyo. Um, so here, as you can see the top right, subject, verb, object. I assume you all know what these are. So I've typed in news as the object. I've also uh, specified obesity um, in the advanced options. I didn't have the room to show it on the slide. It'll take too, too much time to explain all of this. But this has gone through Medline, which 
pre-processed prose, and it's pulled out all sentences where news is in the object position and obesity is mentioned. Right, so now you're, now you're getting out uh, some hopefully interesting articles about news and obesity. Okay. Um, however, would you use that kind of system? I don't know, you might. Many users just want to give a one-word query. Very few users, 1% of users, explore the advanced search options. So what we've been doing is we've been trying to help users by taking away this burden of asking questions, of asking query, formulating queries, and generating instead questions for them. Right? This is within the UKPMC project I mentioned earlier. And uh, here's a little example. Um, this is, I put in obesity and frame analysis, and it's giving me 92 results. Um, on the right there, you can see some questions being generated. Now, these questions are being generated automatically from the full-scale analysis. And these are questions that are known to have answers. This isn't just completion, auto-completion as you would get in, say, Google. This is actually generating the questions on the basis of the, um, the, the full-scale analysis. However, this particular system is rather oriented towards biology, so it's not doing very well here. If you bear with me, and I, I ask about a particular protein called SGK1, you can see that on the right, Again, the questions have been generated and the user has clicked on a particular question of interest and now he's getting facts right, or events of interest in green there uh, coming up from the documents. So that's a better example to do with the actual um, pro proteins and genes. Right? But you can imagine this technology being applied uh, as long as we have um, the resources, the, the, the customized systems to do it, it could be applied to news media. Um, I'll skip over this one. This, um, I don't have a slide on this because, again, it's really getting too much towards biology. But we can use the physics of surprise and basic inference to actually process large amounts of text on the basis of doing entity analysis and other kinds of analysis and pull out, um, pull out unknown associations. And we've tested this out and been able to um, reproduce um, already reported associations um, in, in, in previous work. We can mine information retrieval with text mining. We can do all sorts of classifying and clustering and summarization and term extraction and so on. And we can find related documents based on analysis of return results. Um, I think James is going to talk a little bit about this as well. We can do recommendation systems. Right. And one of the applications we're working on at the moment is to do with clinical trial protocols. Medics came to us and said we have some difficulty in thinking up eligibility criteria for clinical trials. So we now process uh, clinical trial protocols automatically and they choose which ones they're interested in and from those we can generate automatically um, recommendations for eligibility criteria and all sorts of things. That we can do. We can't solve the world's problems, but we can do some things. Let me, let me just finish off a couple of slides on opinion and sentiment. <coughs> and here we're interested in 
Opinion polling, ratios formed against a proposition, what passions are aroused, positive and negative passions about the topic and a social group. So this is potentially a more interesting in our space now. What are the terms in which the debate is conducted? How media used in the formation and dissemination of opinion? Right? And uh, in order to do that, we use all of these techniques I've been talking about, but also doing things like subjectivity analysis, looking for positive and negative orientations. Um, looking at whether somebody is reacting to something, whether they're arguing or citing, and so on. Uh, we did a little study on the alternative vote debate, and um, I can just show you here an, uh, an analysis of tweets on alternative votes. So, of course, tweets are very short documents. This is actually doing document-level analysis, but at the level of the tweets, so um, quite short. But on the right there, you'll see uh, a little meter telling you the sentiment associated with this particular tweet. Now, I'm not claiming that this is giving you 100% accuracy. If somebody tells you text rendering is 100% accurate, do not believe them. Right? There are various figures I can quote you for various domains. But um, uh, if you're happy with Google, you'll be happy with text mining. If you're not happy with Google, you won't be happy with text mining. Um, but here we're seeing the sentiment which um, we can, we can um, delve into now. Here's this one tweet. And you can see, uh, you can look at um, individual items and see the positive or negative orientation or the semantic, um, the semantic um, value that we have associated with that. In this case, we found it's a slogan and so on. Right? So uh, there are things we can do to help people understand. Okay. Um, there are various challenges. Mixing sentiment, subjectivity, and emotion, trying to disentangle those is quite difficult. Irony is difficult to, to deal with. Um, rhetoric, quite often you'll get a whole list of apparently positive statements, but the last statement then turns the whole thing into a negative one, for example. And then we've got problems of cultural specificity of resources. So if you've got a sentiment lexicon, which culture is it more oriented to? If you're interested in this whole area, I can recommend a very good tutorial, um, a recent tutorial by the AAAI in August. And I hope the slides will be made available because otherwise you see me afterwards. Um, let me just leave you with a conclusion. Text mining has many, many aspects, components, levels, different combinations for different tasks. We can apply these in different domains for a lot of people like you to come and talk with us. We're very happy to engage in, in, um, in collaborative projects, uh, proposal writing and all sorts of things. I spend my life doing proposal writing. Copyright and licensing, let me just finish on this. Why? Somebody was mentioning, oh, processing LexisNexis and so on. We went to LexisNexis and said, can you process your data? Text mining national service for the good of the community? No. Anybody heard of the Hargreaves hard uh, view on copyright? Please Google that. Please support it. The government wishes to um, uh, implement the hard-to-use regulations. Uh, they are proposing to introduce um, copyright exception for text mining. And so that's a very important step in this country. And it would enable a lot of research that we want to do and you want to do right, on documents that often your institutions have paid a great deal of money for. I happen 
happen to know, because I was at a talk the other day where uh, the University of Nottingham librarian was saying this, he said his institution spends £5 million a year on journal subscriptions. Right? So that's one institution. Think of institutions. 